This program is paid for by Your Radio Doctor, LLC. All opinions or statements expressed on this program are solely those of Your Radio Doctor and their guests and do not reflect the opinions of WPHT or Odyssey. Your Radio Doctor does not recommend or endorse any specific tests, products, physicians, procedures, opinions, or other information that may be mentioned on Your Radio Doctor. Always consult your own physician. Today's program has been pre-recorded. Millions of Americans are losing their medical assistance or Medicaid coverage. If this affects you, Independence Blue Cross can help. You may be eligible to enroll in a health plan for as little as $0 a month. With Independence Blue Cross, you get the largest provider network in the area, including most Keystone First doctors and hospitals. We also offer free 24-7 telemedicine, coverage for hospital stays and prescriptions. See if you qualify for $0 health insurance and enroll today. Call Independence Blue Cross at 1-844-464-2583 or visit ibx.com slash stay covered. Talk Radio 1210, WPHT, WPHT, HD, WOGL, HD3, Philadelphia. From the Cherry Hill Volvo Studios, where relationships matter. Always live on the free Odyssey app. It's time for the Delaware Valley's first radio doctor. On call every Saturday afternoon at 5. This is your radio doctor with Dr. Marianne Ritchie. Presented exclusively by Independence Blue Cross. Listen, seven months or ten months is an absolutely exceptional, exceptionally short time frame to produce this vaccine. Your health determines your life, your longevity, and your happiness. Let your radio doctor lead the way with your medical education. Your radio doctor, Dr. Marianne Ritchie. Good evening and welcome to your radio doctor. I'm your host, Dr. Marianne Ritchie. Chronic obstructive pulmonary disease, or COPD, is a common respiratory condition characterized by cough, shortness of breath, and limited airflow. About 10% of individuals age 40 and older have COPD, though it varies among countries, but it's consistently ranked among the top causes of death in the U.S. Many health conditions in older adults can cause a chronic cough, so these symptoms should not be labeled as COPD without an appropriate evaluation. Joining us today is Dr. Sean Duffy from the Temple Lung Center at Temple Health. Dr. Duffy is an Associate Professor of Clinical Thoracic Medicine and Surgery from the Lewis Katz School of Medicine at Temple University, and he practices pulmonary medicine and critical care medicine at Temple University Hospital. Welcome, Sean. Hi, Marianne. Thank you so much for having me today. Well, Sean, you have a great video on the Temple Health website with a very clear and important message. If a cough persists for longer than eight weeks, or if it interferes with your daily activities or your sleep, you might need a lung medicine specialist to evaluate you. Um, as simple, it can't just blame it on a blood pressure medicine or acid reflux or post-nasal drip until you make sure it's not early signs of COPD or asthma or even lung cancer. Yes, is that a good way to frame our show? Sure, yeah. I think that um, you know the chronic cough is one of the most common symptoms we see, much like shortness of breath or... Uh, um, you know, sometimes chest tightness or chest pain, and those things all warrant evaluation. So, you know, just because you have a cough doesn't mean you have COPD. Just because you're short of breath doesn't mean you have, you know, lung disease at all. That can be attributable to something else as well. So all those sorts of uh, symptoms, I think, certainly warrant further evaluation with a specialist. Mm -hmm. So I know there's often confusion about the term COPD, and uh, people have, say, a long smoking history, uh, or even some doctors don't get the the terms exactly correct. So why don't we start with the definition of COPD and and go from there? 
Yeah, so I think you outlined it nicely in the beginning. I think, you know, um, we know that COPD is characterized by shortness of breath, by cough, and patients have all these respiratory symptoms. But what is, how do you establish that diagnosis and how do you know it's COPD and not something else? Um, so I think an important thing to mention is that COPD is, um, for lack of a better term, kind of a blanket term. So it, it encompasses um, a lot of different sort of uh, symptomatic syndromes and diseases like chronic bronchitis, emphysema, um, airflow with with fixed air, airway obstruction. So um, COPD is really defined by all these diseases that have in common um, persistent airflow limitation. Mm-hmm. So that means that when you blow air out, you're not able to empty your lungs efficiently. And that's a permanent state. Whereas in asthma, when we talk about asthma, um, true classic asthma is a reversible state of airflow limitation. And are some people more genetically predisposed? I mean, my Aunt Kitty smoked until she was 85 and said, hmm, probably not such a good idea. And she lived to be 97. I mean, she of smoked. <laughs> yeah, of, of course. Certain certain people, you know, smoke and don't get COPD. Certain people, you know, smoke, um, you know, a smaller amount, maybe only for 20 years, as opposed to people who smoke for 40 years and 50 years. And those people who smoke 20 years, they do get COPD. Um, I think it's hard to determine right now you know, why some of these people are getting it and why some people don't. Um, there are people that don't smoke at all. Um, COPD worldwide is caused by, um, you know, wood burning stoves and, and um, those kind of th- exposures worldwide are a, a huge cause of COPD. Here in America, we talk about smoking, 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 but, you know, you don't have to smoke to get COPD. Mm-hmm. And so you explained it so well. COPD is probably more of an umbrella term. Uh, when we talk about patients who have obstructed airflow, they go to exhale, it doesn't all come out of their lungs. And you mentioned chronic bronchitis and emphysema. Let's talk about the distinctions there. It's not that hard to understand. And I think when you break it down, people walk away and say, oh, that makes sense. Sure. So I think in the, um, in the old textbooks that we saw in medical school, there were pictures of people with emphysema, which would be a real skinny person with big, large chest, overinflated lungs, um, and they'd be huffing and puffing at short of breath. And then on the next page, you see this picture of, of somebody who's um, a bigger person with more muscle mass or more, uh, more body mass who is looks like they're coughing and bring up mucus all the time. And the skinny guy with the big chest is, um, is your emphysema picture. And the other guy who's coughing and bringing up mucus is chronic bronchitis. And I think those two definitions still kind of stand the test of time, but we know that it's more of an overlap and not everybody is strictly emphysema or strictly chronic bronchitis. There's certainly overlap between those two um, phenotypes or or types of COPD patients where um, you'll see some patients have a lot of that hyperinflation in their chest and they're very short of breath. Whereas our patients with chronic bronchitis, might have less severe obstructive lung disease when it comes to lung function testing, but they often have more symptoms. They're coughing, they're bringing up mucus, they're going to the ER a lot despite maybe having on paper better lung function than than some of their counterparts who have emphysema. Mm -hmm. So if we paint the picture for our listeners, um, if they've ever seen a diagram or even on TV when there's an advertisement for cough syrup or something, your trachea or that bumpy thing in your neck is the initial highway that branches into a left and right bronchus. 
So there are airways, there are long tubes that break into branches. And chronic bronchitis, I would guess, is inflammation of the lining of those tubes, whereas emphysema, those tubes deliver air, fresh oxygenated air, to the little sacs called alveoli, or the I guess the leaves on the tree. So the branches or the bronchi, that's bronchitis, they're inflamed, but emphysema, those little sacs that expand and contract, they're damaged. Would you say that's a pretty fair assessment, yeah. uh, branches versus leaves? Exactly. So I think those tubes that bring bring the air into the um, to the air sacs, which are really what does all the work in the lungs as far as gas exchange, um, those tubes get um, inflamed. They get full of mucus. If they plug up, um, then you have a problem. You can't get the air out that's beyond them if they get plugged with mucus. So bronchitis, we do see a lot more of the symptoms of mucus and cough because of the inflammation in the airways. Emphysema, again, is air that gets trapped in those air sacs. And when air sits in the air sacs and isn't moving, it actually destroys the lung tissue. And what, what that means, what, what happens with that is we see emphysema on imaging. And emphysema, essentially on a CAT scan, to me, looks like a big black hole in the lungs where it should be uh, more of a grayish looking tissue. We see basically an empty space that's just full of air. And that's emphysema. I can see emphysema on a CAT scan. But having a little bit of emphysema doesn't necessarily mean you have COPD. You can have emphysema on a CT scan without having COPD. You can have COPD without having any emphysema as well. So I think that's an important distinction um, to make is that emphysema is something uh, that we can see. It's a structural finding. Um, and COPD is, a, is more of a diagnosis based on lung function testing and an overall picture. So that leads to the question, how do you distinguish? Because this is, is pretty nuanced. And even physicians, I think, um, have misconceptions, right? They, they'll say, well, this person has COPD. But it, what it sounds like, emphysema, those leaves at the end of the branch of the tree are not there. They lose their elasticity. They don't expand and contract. Is that one of the things that happens? Yeah, so sure. And the, and the area in between the walls, once the air is trapped, kind of gets destroyed. And then mm. you end up just with kind of essentially air that's trapped in the lung and the air that just sits there and is trapped in the lung can, can actually become toxic to the, oh. to the normal lung tissue. So that will, will destroy some of the normal lung tissue and that air just builds up. And once the air starts to build up and it can't get out of the lungs, that's when we start seeing what we call hyperinflation where the lungs get bigger and bigger and because of this trapped air. And ultimately it's a fixed space, right? So between your waist and your shoulders, you have a fixed amount of space and your lungs can only take up so much of it before you can take a deep breath and get more air in. So once you begin having real problems getting the air out and you get that hyperinflation, then all of a sudden you can't get a good breath in either mm. because you've just taken up too much space in your chest. It's like you take a deep breath to go underwater and you can't exhale it. Exactly. Yeah. yeah. And then try oh. to take another one. That's the yeah. hard part. Oh, I, I think... One of the hardest symptoms to deal with, pain is not good. Having an itch, some people say an itch is worse than a pain. But to me, being short of breath or not being able to breathe, I think is the the toughest um, challenge, the, the toughest symptom a patient can deal with. So thank goodness for the Temple Lung Center because you all work miracles. So we talk about the misconceptions around the terms and COPD sounds like it might be in a more extreme form of either emphysema or uh, chronic bronchitis. But so we talk about also 
so many other health conditions. You mentioned, I guess, lisinopril is a drug that might lead to a cough. And it, sure. it's really scary. And you go back to your doctor. It's what's so, so important. Every show, family history, know your family history, and bring your list of meds, including mm -hmm. over-the-counter. Um, anyway, they're two of my pet peeves. But yeah. we can't just label a person as having COPD. So how do you determine, how do you nuance exactly what the person has what metrics do you use to make the diagnosis or what tests? Right. So this brings into the picture kind of discussing what the difference between, you know, uh, a clinical diagnosis where something like asthma, we may make what's called a clinical diagnosis. Somebody comes in, they have classic symptoms of asthma. It gets better when you give them an albuterol inhaler or if they go on prednisone, if they have an exacerbation, you can almost certainly say that this person has asthma. Um, when somebody comes in and has shortness of breath or cough um, and we suspect COPD, we can't just label them COPD because it's not a clinical diagnosis. It requires testing. Um, so we do lung function testing, and the hallmark of that lung function testing is called spirometry. So that's essentially we ask the patients to take a deep breath in as they can, and then they blow it out as hard and as fast as they can. And that is the, the main test that we do for our patients to determine if they have airflow limitation, which again is, is the characteristic finding on testing in COPD. Mm -hmm. um, so when we take a deep breath in, as deep as we can, and then blow all that air out, that's called our forced vital capacity or FVC. Um, the fraction of that that you can exhale in one second is the FEV1, uh, forced expiratory volume in one second. That's what that stands for. And the ratio of that FEV1 to FVC is what determines if you have COPD. So most people with normal lungs should be able to exhale about 80% of their forced vital capacity in the first second. 80 is normal. Less than 70 is when we diagnose airflow limitation, and we consider that um, a, a COPD patient. So we have to do that test to establish that diagnosis of COPD. Sure. Like, like most conditions, we have to have metrics to tell us if what we're doing with therapy is improving or, or not making any progress. Stay with us during the break and we'll be back with Dr. Sean Duffy from the Temple Lung Center. Thanks for listening to Your Radio Doctor with Dr. Marianne Ritchie, exclusively presented by Independence Blue Cross. If you have a question for the medical mailbag, just send a note to doctor at yourradiodoctor.net. At Independence Blue Cross, we believe in giving you the tools you need to pursue your healthiest life. From premiums as low as $0 per month to health discounts and cash rewards, it pays to have coverage with Independence. With the strongest network of doctors and hospitals in the region and free 24-7 virtual doctor visits, you can feel confident that quality care is always within reach. Learn more about your coverage options at ibx.com. When Recovery Centers of America at Devon opened its campuses on the main line and in South Jersey, they offered a new approach, local addiction treatment led by an expert caring team of professionals. RCA has since helped thousands and leads the way in innovative programs and exceptional inpatient and outpatient care, all in a beautiful setting that allows for healing and recovery. RCA answers the phone and admits patients 24-7, 365, including the holidays. All admitted patients and staff are routinely tested for COVID-19. Call now at 1-888-RECOVERY. That's 1-888-RECOVERY. And welcome back to your radio doctor with our guest, Dr. Sean Duffy. Sean, we were talking about our topic COPD and the nuances to really help people understand that 
COPD is not a catch-all. It's a very distinct um, condition that we try to characterize with the help of pulmonary function tests. And you made a nice distinction. Sometimes when a person walks into the room, they have a feature or on their clinical exam, what we hear, see, or, or notice when we examine them. So with asthma, if we can hear wheezing and we give them a bronchodilator and it clears, we can say, you know, pretty much it's probably spasm of those airways. We fixed it with the inhaler. Woohoo, thank goodness. COPD or chronic obstructive pulmonary disease needs a little bit more um, investigation. And so with a pulmonary function test, you ask a patient to take a, the, the deepest breath he or she could take and then blow it out. And that's what you measure. And depending on how much a person's able to exhale, you say, if it's over this amount, we're in good shape. If it goes below uh, another metric, then we know they're trapping air. Is that a pretty good way to say all this? Yes, that, that is a pretty good way to say it. I think, you know, like we said, with asthma um, in the beginning, it's, it's defined by that reversible airflow limitation. Um, and that, so those patients, asthma patients, when they come into your office, if you want to do lung function testing on them and they feel fine, it should look normal. Um, COPD, on the other hand, um, those patients should never, never really have a normal lung function test. They're always going to have airflow limitation. It's permanent. It's fixed. And when they come into the office, they do this testing. We can see, you know, that they are not able to exhale efficiently and, and normally. Um, and that's going to persist every time. Typically, COPD is more or less progressive um, or at least permanent. Um, sometimes we can find ways to um, stabilize that lung function, but you're always going to have fixed airflow limitation. And that's the reason why COPD can't be a clinical diagnosis. You have to see that fixed airflow obstruction on lung function testing. So that leads to the question, you mentioned CAT scans earlier. What type of radiology, like plain X-ray or CAT scan? I would guess if asthma is reversible and we get it to quiet down, you do a chest X-ray, it looks normal, yes? Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Yeah, so if, if even in COPD, you can see patients with normal chest X-rays. Um, it's more um, if patients are in exacerbation um, if patients have kind of more severe disease where they have a lot of what we call hyperinflation when they get, you know, a real buildup of emphysema and a large proportion of their lung is, is emphysematous, um, those patients will have abnormal imaging um, almost permanently. When, you know, you have moderate or mild COPD and you're not in exacerbation, typically your imaging can look pretty normal um, as far as an x-ray especially. CT scans, you know, can find, especially now CT scans, you know, the cuts are so small, they can find pretty subtle um, abnormalities. So we do often see, you know, some abnormalities, even in, in sort of mild or moderate COPD on CT scan. Mm -hmm. And I try to drive that home to our listeners. Not that they really care about the mechanics. They just want to know, doctor, what are you going to do to make me feel better? But when I was in training, a CAT scan, the resolution or its ability to pick up lesions, nothing smaller than a centimeter. A centimeter is right. that magic number we say it's early cancer or it's not. So if we can't see things smaller than a centimeter, now we can see salt and pepper from yesterday's dinner. So it's become so much better. It really helps us to help our patients. 
So yeah, we're down to two millimeters now. Oh, so we're it's like, awesome. You know, it's awesome. I don't know what to do with a two millimeter nodule. Oh, well, that's the other thing. Then you scare the daylights out of somebody and it could be just a little scar tissue from old pneumonia or something, right? Exactly. Mm. Um, so the difference in COPD and emphysema, again, COPD is a broader category that includes other conditions. Yeah. So COPD, again, is is kind of that um, that blanket term that covers anybody who comes in and has fixed airflow limitation when they do that lung function testing. That yeah. ratio, that FEV1, that FEV1 to FVC ratio is less than 70%. That's COPD. That's the definition of how we establish that diagnosis. Um, and within that COPD, there's different kind of what we call phenotypes or, or classifications of COPD. And that can be patients with emphysema, like we talked about those they get big hyperinflated lungs. That can be those chronic bronchitis patients who have airflow limitation, but their symptoms are more cough and mucus, and they don't necessarily get as much hyperinflation as our patients with emphysema. Mm -hmm. Then the other category that's pretty common is uh, people with longstanding asthma from the inflammation mm. that they suffer from, they will develop fixed airflow limitation. So they will have fixed obstructive lung disease and behave similarly to our COPD. -er. Um, so that's your more severe asthmatics who have had it chronically and it's been harder to control, typically those patients will kind of develop, you know, some sort of airflow limitation that's permanent. Mm -hmm. So if I were to ask, what's the approach to treating COPD, there are really three different categories. But in general, I would think some of the, the um, initial steps are shared among the three. Of course. Um, so I think, you know, it depends a little bit about how those patients present and what their um, what their quote unquote phenotype is or or that classification if you know if you can fit them into you know a box say like okay this person comes in and they seem like primarily an emphysema patient then you really want to attack kind of um, opening up those airways bronchodilation we call it so you want to open those airways and give them the strongest medicines you can to open the airways and that's um, what we call LAMAs, long-acting muscarinic um, agonists and long-acting beta antagonists. So those are two types of medicines we give that open the airways. They're both inhaled. Um, and those are the two types. That's what we have is two long-acting medications that can help open up your airways and keep them open for all day. Um, the other inhaled therapy is inhaled corticosteroids. Um, and when our patients present with asthma, this is kind of the hallmark in treatment. So we want to get those patients on inhaled steroids because we're treating inflammation less so than we're treating that um, that bronchoconstriction, the tightening of the airways. Um, we want to prevent that inflammation. But typically, we, we attack both um, in asthma and chronic bronchitis. Similarly, you also want to get patients on these um, inhaled steroids as well because that's going to help limit that mucus production and, and decrease that inflammation that they see. So um, you may choose slightly different um, inhalers when you first see a patient with COPD, depending on how they present. But yes, most of the treatment is the same. And people who become more severe or have a lot of exacerbations, they're going to be on all three. They're going to be on both bronchodilators, and they're also going to be on an inhaled steroid to prevent inflammation. Mm -hmm. So a couple things come to mind when I listened. Um, a bronchodilator means we want to open or expand those airways that are that are inflamed and want to go into spasm, or the the elasticity is tried to um, go on vacation. And 
steroids, I always remind my patients that we use steroids as step two, never step one, because they can have side effects. But steroids are the ultimate anti-inflammatory drug, right? And that's why if, I don't think people always realize that anti-inflammatory ibuprofen um, is a non-steroidal, meaning it's anti-inflammatory, but it's not as strong or as extreme as steroids. There's the spectrum of how we approach inflammation. Um, and so the bronchodilators are inhaled, and the next step is an inhaled steroid, right? Right. So we want to and mm-hmm. we want to give that steroid locally to those airways. Just just treat the airways with the steroids because just coat it. As we mm-hmm. know, you know, uh, systemic steroids have a lot of side effects, and we don't right. want our patients on them if we can avoid it, um, because that that is, you know, once you get further down the line and patients yeah. are uncontrolled. Sometimes we have to resort to those uh, systemic yep. steroids. So. And the thing is, I compare it to ulcerative colitis in our world. And, and again, for our listeners, the lining of the lungs, the lung tubules and the air sacs is the same lining as inside the colon. I'm not saying you have bits of colon in your lungs, no, but mucosa, that shiny pink surface like inside your cheeks, same thing inside your bladder, lungs, uh, every part of your body that has that active tissue kind of behaves the same way when it gets inflamed. It might weep fluid, it can be painful, et cetera. So if we want to stop the inflammation, maybe step two or three is this steroid therapy. So I think people need to understand that. So the other thing that um, you have this algorithm and you're very careful about, always start with the easy steps first. Um, One of the things you mentioned earlier was in emphysema, that you might see a person who's really thin um, and they lose their muscle mass. I was very fortunate after training in GI, I did a year of nutrition, wish I still had more training in it, but um, we as physicians have to put the fire out. We wanna get to the lungs, we wanna get to the ulcerative colitis or the angina, whatever it is that's acute. Um, But I would think, I know times when I've had the flu or something that I have a cough, the last thing I want to do is put anything near where I'm breathing. If I'm short of breath, the last thing I want is chicken and mashed potatoes. I don't mm. care if I eat. Um, and maybe you get a little loss of appetite because of a virus, but it's also, I don't want anything near this limited airway. Do you think that's part of it? And if so, um, people that get really thin and lose muscle mass, are they as capable as expanding what they do have. Do you know what I'm saying? The big picture, yeah. nutrition is medicine. So it, it can be a big problem when we get to advanced uh, COPD, especially in our emphysema patients where um, they lose muscle mass just because they're using more energy to breathe. They're using their muscles to breathe. So they're burning calories just breathing. And then again, like we talked about, you know, that chest cavity is a fixed space, right? So if you have very hyperinflated lungs, it's going to put a little more pressure on your stomach. Um, and then you know, once you start putting pressure on your stomach and your GI system, you, you don't, you feel full very, very early. You have, you know, a few bites of a meal and then you say, okay, I'm done for today. And I think that's a really hard thing for our patients to grapple with because we do want them to keep that muscle mass so that they can be active and, and be able to do the things that they want to do. And ultimately, you know, it's very hard for them to maintain that muscle mass once they get to a pretty severe 
um, severe state with emphysema because of those things that we just talked about. And you would think that if they don't want to sit down and have a hearty meal, they're going to be depending on drinking a cup of coffee, a glass of juice, yeah. and I'm done. And if you become protein malnourished, that opens the door for weakened immune system and it just snowballs, right? Yeah, absolutely. So, you know, what we recommend is if that's where they are, is try to use protein shakes or anything you can drink with protein and, and high calorie content to help um, improve that muscle mass. Uh, mm -hmm. You know, you got to you gotta do what you can. Mm -hmm. And that's why it's great that so many uh, hospital systems now have built in nutrition departments where we can send our patients and get those everyday kind of suggestions that concentrate your calories and protein. Let's take a little break and we'll be back with Dr. Sean Duffy from the Temple Lung Center. And now for your real champion, I call this segment, Little Sisters of the Poor. Among other lessons from the COVID lockdown, we all learned to live with less. If you were in quarantine or isolation and you ran out of butter or milk, you used a substitute or did without. We couldn't gather with family or friends, so we learned to Zoom. And there was no reason to dress up, so we did less shopping. And truthfully, we didn't miss it. Even now, the doors have reopened, masks are off. You buy a new shirt or another piece of home decor, it doesn't really make you any happier. What we crave is coming together with family and friends and finding gratitude in every day of good health. Well, here's the remarkable story of a woman who had that wisdom long before COVID. Your real champion this week is Sister Veronica Susan, a little sister of the poor. So let's start with a little about the sisters. The French Revolution ended in 1799, leaving many of the French people destitute living in the streets. A peasant woman named Jeanne Jougan began working as a child, cleaning and cooking for others. One day she noticed a woman begging on the street and was so moved she carried the woman home to the bed in her tiny attic apartment. Jean never slept in her own bed again. She focused on the elderly because she believed young people could rebound. And as she brought more people in, she needed money to support them. So she became a beggar for the beggars. She found joy in the gift of hospitality for the poor and elderly, and soon other women joined in her mission. By 1839, Jean Jougan formed the religious order of Roman Catholic nuns called the Little Sisters of the Poor. The order grew to 13 cities by 1869. They came to Philadelphia. Well, a hundred years later, a young girl named Susan, a teenager in the Midwest during the tumultuous 1960s, was a happy middle child in a family of eight children that was faith-filled and hardworking. She completed a degree in dance and phys ed at Indiana University. Influenced by the unrest of the time and not finding direction from the church, she moved to California, began a new life, and taught in a private school near San Francisco while earning a master's degree in psychology. But she became more and more curious about a nursing home across the street from her school and began to volunteer there. Gradually, she realized she wanted a change. She was attracted to working with the poor elderly and wanted to devote herself to a hands-on mission. She wasn't necessarily looking for the religious life, but she wanted to move away from the world of bureaucracy and found absolute joy in just being there to help these precious people because their longevity helps all of us last for other generations. Susan entered the convent in 1980. After two years as a novice, she took temporary vows, 
More time in the field and studying doctrine, she completed her seven years of training with final vows in France and took the name Sister Veronica. Today, the little sisters serve in over 30 countries. They offer a home to the neediest of the elderly of every race and religion, caring for them with dignity until God calls them at the end of life. They value each person as unique and celebrate the wisdom of age, serving with humility and compassion. Money can't buy this kind of care. In recent years, the sisters have coordinated with the federal government, which encourages the elderly to stay in home environments for health care. They've developed a health care wing with residents with more acute needs, and they partner with Bayada Home Healthcare, who provide assistance. They also have several small apartments and encourage independence with their support. Sister shared a special story about a man in a desperate situation living in a crack house. The sisters placed him in one of the studio apartments. Everything he owned was in one bag, and when the man entered his new home, he asked, which space is mine? He had never lived in his own home. Friends, these are humble servants who share the same mission. They put others' needs before their own and devote their lives to caring for the neediest of elderly people, offering them a home, sharing their suffering, and relieving their pain. They see life as a gift from God to be used for the good of all. We are all members of one family and should take care of one another. As a little sister, Sister Veronica finds joy in her role as a beggar for beggars. In the end, Sister Veronica said, the gift is not just sharing what you have, but sharing who you are. Then I knew it wasn't coincidence, but providence that her last name is Prophet. We salute you, Sister Veronica, and all the little sisters of the poor, your real champions. Learn how you can help. Holy Family Home is at 5300 Chester Avenue in Southwest Philly. Visit littlesistersofthepoor.org. Today's edition of Your Radio Doctor with Dr. Marianne Ritchie, presented exclusively by Independence Blue Cross, can be enjoyed anytime, anywhere, at your convenience. Just download the Odyssey app and search Your Radio Doctor. It's health education on demand. Millions of Americans are losing their medical assistance or Medicaid coverage. If this affects you, Independence Blue Cross can help. You may be eligible to enroll in a health plan for as little as $0 a month. With Independence Blue Cross, you get the largest provider network in the area, including most Keystone First doctors and hospitals. We also offer free 24-7 telemedicine, coverage for hospital stays and prescriptions. See if you qualify for $0 health insurance and enroll today. Call Independence Blue Cross at 1-844-464-2583 or visit ibx.com slash stay covered. Your radio doctor, Dr. Marianne Ritchie, now Saturday afternoons at 5, presented exclusively by Independence Blue Cross. This program is paid for by Your Radio Doctor, LLC. Welcome back to Your Radio Doctor. Our topic today is COPD with our guest, Dr. Sean Duffy from Temple Lung Center. Sean, we talked about uh, COPD and the several categories like emphysema, chronic asthma, or chronic bronchitis. Are there any new treatments that have popped up in recent years that are beyond, say, bronchodilators and inhaled steroids? Yeah, so it's a pretty exciting time right now. There's a lot of um, newer therapies that are being developed for COPD. Um, like we talked about, you know, the mainstays with COPD, we start with kind of those bronchodilators, and then we move to bronchodilators plus inhaled steroids. Um, there's a few adjunctive medications that we can use as well in patients that are on those three inhalers and they're still having exacerbations. Um, there's a new medication called uh, Reflumalast that can help patients, especially with chronic bronchitis, 
Um, it's not that new, but it's, it's, um, you know, it's out there for patients to take as a pill, which helps reduce inflammation. Um, and then, you know, studies in the last 15 years, we've seen, you know, azithromycin, um, used on a daily basis, mostly as an anti-inflammatory agent, um, in our patients with COPD and that can help reduce exacerbations in our patient population who, you know, despite being on maximum inhaler therapy is still going to the hospital and going to the ER. Even more recently, there's been, um, you know, some development of bronchoscopic forms of treatment. And these are mostly targeted at emphysema. Um, and one of the main new treatments, which people have heard about, I think is pretty fairly well um, publicized and out there in the COPD world is endobronchial valves or bronchoscopic lung volume reduction. Um, and that originates from, they used to do surgical lung volume reduction um, and still do surgical lung volume reduction in the right patients. And what that means is basically if you have emphysema and say it's concentrated in the upper part of your lung, we can treat that and try to get rid of that emphysema in the upper part of the lung. One way of doing that is putting in a small valve into the airway of the diseased part of the lung. And it's a one-way valve, so only air can get out and no new air can get in. So that trapped air can finally empty from that part of the lung. And if you think of that emphysematous part of the lung, like think of the lung like a sponge. And that emphysematous part of the lung would be like an air bubble on top of the sponge. And basically that air bubble will collapse down. And what that does is reduces lung volume. It's like we talk about hyperinflation and how our patients get, you know, the lung and the air get, gets trapped and the lungs get too big for the chest. This is our way of reducing that volume to closer to a normal volume. And that has some really important effects. Um, one of the most important effects is that um, it allows your diaphragm to function more properly. As the lungs get hyperinflated, the diaphragm flattens out. And instead of having its nice normal dome shape, it's flat and it, it can't work properly. And that's why those patients have to use muscles to breathe, other muscles to breathe, and they're burning calories. So the diaphragm reshapes, your mechanics get better, it gets easier to breathe. And a lot of these patients will say, you know, I can do things I wasn't able to do before I had this procedure. Um, I would say one important thing to mention about this kind of procedure is that it's a very small subset of COPD patients that truly benefit from this procedure. So it's important to be kind of in a center that has experience with this because you've got to pick the right patients. It's the most important thing you can do in this type of procedure. And that's what I was going to say. It's really um, uh, enlightening and really hopeful when patients hear, okay, here's the standard therapy, but there's something else there. I trained in Sloan Kettering. And that was the oasis where when every place else fails, we have clinical trials. We have this new study, but we're going to do it very carefully. And it's what we do all day, every day. When you have a severe lung disease and you're fortunate enough to live in a, a city like Philadelphia with the Temple Lung Center, you want nuanced care. Nuances make a huge difference. Yes. Yeah. And I think it's just that experience and having seen patients with, with these problems in the past and being a part of those clinical trials um, and seeing these things at the outset really helps to kind of narrow down the population that you should be treating mm -hmm. to know who's going to benefit from these kind of new therapies. Yeah. And so you talked about using the bronchoscope. People 
probably are more likely to have endoscopy or colonoscopy. This is the same type of technology. It's a really tiny scope with um, bright lights. I'm trying to think of the technical it's fiber term. optic. Fiber optic, yeah. yeah. <laughs> I'm Wilma Flintstone. Um, that we we walk into your your airways and it's like having turning a light on the room. We can see the tiniest uh, changes in the lining. Um, and that's how you do it kind of as opposed to surgery. But um, my other thought is knowing it's the right patient because just because somebody reaches end stage, there are other factors in their clinical story. Maybe they have a very weak heart or, or some other condition and they're not the right patient. So we want to take that risk of a, a new procedure, but we, you and people that do lung all day, every day in a center that does clinical trials. That's the point people should understand. And there are certain things that you mentioned that can cause COPD, like being exposed in certain parts of the world where people cook on wood, you know, wood chips and they inhale that smoke. Or uh, That's something you can't help if that's your environment. But what you can help is smoking cigarettes. Why are cigarettes, other than those made of bubble gum or chocolate, why are cigarettes not our good friend? Well, I think we know what they do to the lungs. And I think, um, you know, at, at, at this stage in the United States, uh, cigarette smoking is by and large the, you know, the number one cause of chronic obstructive lung disease. Um, so cigarettes, you know, they destroy the, the lining of the lung. They cause more inflammation in the lung. Um, they can deposit um, toxic chemicals into the air sacs and start to destroy those air sacs and start the process that, that becomes, you know, chronic obstructive lung disease. And, um, they really get the, get the ball rolling with starting to damage that lining and create that inflammation. And then your body, you know, becomes, becomes a part of the process. It's diseased and it's trying to fight against these toxic chemicals and it's putting out all this mucus and creating all this inflammation because that's how your body fights these things. Um, but eventually that starts to cause, you know, chronic disease in your lungs and it causes that emphysema, which becomes progressive and it causes that chronic bronchitis and those symptoms, they stay with you um, often. So we talk about smoking cessation. We talk about quitting smoking all the time in the office. I think it sure. is, uh, it's our number one, most important intervention in pulmonary medicine. Um, there's nothing more important than getting your patients to quit smoking. So mm-hmm. if you can do that, any way to help, um, that doesn't involve smoking, anything else, any way to help that doesn't involve smoking, um, is really important. And it's, it's something that saves lives. It makes you live longer. You quit smoking, you will live longer. Um, we don't get to say that a lot in pulmonary. We don't have a lot of those, uh, um, exciting drugs in cardiology where they can give you a medicine and say, this is going to make you live an extra, you know, five years. If you take this mm-hmm. medicine, we don't have that. But if you quit smoking, we can tell you that you're going to live longer. Well, we do a weekly, <clears throat> uh, addiction prevention tip. Smoking is an addiction and Absolutely. it's so hard for people to quit, but, and especially if somebody's young and healthy and they're enjoying smoking and for whatever reason, they think, not me, I'm not going to end up with emphysema or something. But And and I do think the more we message, sometimes people get desensitized to it, like, oh, yeah, I'm not going to smoke. But one of the things that really worries me is vaping because people think they're inhaling steam. They think they're inhaling nice, hot liquid fluid. 
there are so many nuances. We did a whole show on it with one of your colleagues. Vaping had a good intention when it came along, like, okay, do this, and you're not you're getting rid of the nicotine. But guess what, folks? You are still inhaling inflammatory junk, and that breaks yeah. down into formaldehyde, acetaldehyde. You don't need to know what they are. They are your enemies, and they, too, can cause lung cancer. So what's really sad is when somebody's trying to really trying desperately to let go of cigarettes and they, they try vaping, they end up continuing both. So there's so many permutations and combinations of what happens. But we also want to tell people when they ask us, well, how about marijuana for my pain? Don't smoke it. Don't smoke anything that involves fire and inhale enough said. Let's talk about lung cancer screening and who's eligible for that because we know too, smoking bumps your risk for heart disease as well as emphysema, but also lung cancer. Let's take a few minutes to talk about that. So yeah, so that's a relatively new initiative in COPD as well. I say COPD, but it doesn't, it's not specifically a COPD initiative. It's a, um, it's a initiative for people who are longtime smokers. So, um, the U.S. Preventive Task Force, if I can say that, um, has put out recommendations now um, based on prior studies that anyone who's aged 50 to 80 and has what's called a 20-pack year smoking history, 20-pack years means a pack a day for 20 years. Um, so if you've smoked a pack a day for 20 years or the equivalent or more, and you're between 50 and 80, um, and you have quit smoking within 15 years. So if you quit smoking more than 15 years ago, um, they say that you know maybe this isn't something that will benefit you. But if you've quit within 15 years and you've smoked enough and you're in the right age group, um, you can get lung cancer screening. And what we do this with is what's called a low-dose CT scan. Um, low-dose meaning the radiation. So it's, it's less radiation than kind of our normal high-resolution CT scans, but it will pick up early lung nodules that that could be cancerous. And the idea is that lung cancer, you know, um, when we talk about it, it may not be as common or as prevalent as something you hear about like breast cancer, colon cancer. You hear about that kind of screening all the time. Lung cancer is very deadly. Um, so it does, it's a, it, it's a highly, um, highly deadly type of cancer. So we want to catch it early. Um, and when we do catch it early, there are treatment options. Sometimes you can do surgery, sometimes um, you can do radiation to eradicate a small early lung cancer, but we have to catch it early. And this is one way of doing that. So those patients who are eligible, we recommend um, lung cancer screening. And and the overlap is that a lot of those patients do have COPD because of the smoking history. Yeah. I, you know, I was at a cancer conference within the past year and somebody said, why aren't we uh, chest doing chest x-rays or CAT scans on everybody who's ever smoked? And you just said it so well. If you get x-rayed too much, x-ray exposure can bump your risk for cancer. So we have to be very selective and say, who's at higher risk? And we'll use a CAT scan that uses a lesser dose of radiation because we don't want the cure to be worse than than the condition. So we're going to select those people with a 20-pack year, as you say, a pack a day for 20 years or two packs a day for 10 years, whatever is the case over a certain age because we don't want to harm people by x-raying them too much. I think that's really important. And you're right. There's so much emphasis on the pink campaigns that people think breast is number one. The number one cause of cancer death, listeners, is 
lung cancer in men and women. Number two, my favorite number is a GI doctor. Number two is colon cancer. Um, so if I think if people know that, the more you know, right? The more you can help yourself. Let's take a little break and we'll be back for our wrap up with Dr. Sean Duffy. Your Radio Doctor with Dr. Marianne Ritchie is presented exclusively by Independence Blue Cross. Hi, my name is Bobby Bunyan, CEO of Recovery Centers of America at Bracebridge Hall, and for today, I'm your addiction expert from RCA. Today, I'm here to talk to you about overcoming addiction. Addiction is uh, often a lifelong process that requires a combination of professional assistance, self-motivation, support from loved ones. There's a number of different approaches to addiction recovery, and what works for any one person may not work for another. Uh, some of the common steps and strategies that people use to overcome addiction include, first and foremost, acknowledging the problem, the first step to overcome addiction is you know acknowledging that there is a problem in the first place uh, which is not always easy but it's definitely a necessary process next will be to seek help there's many resources available for people that are struggling with addiction including support groups counseling and addiction treatment programs like the one we have here at recovery centers of america you also want to develop a support system having a supportive network of friends and family members can make the difference in overcoming addiction and lastly you know we need to address the underlying issues addiction is often a symptom of underlying issues such as trauma depression anxiety stress and addressing these issues is going to be a key component um, in ultimately overcoming Overcoming the addiction itself. Um, remember, recovery is a process. Setbacks are normal. It's important to be patient with yourself and to seek help when it is needed. If you or a loved one needs help with alcohol or drugs, reach out to Recovery Centers of America at 833-969-0268 or visit rcaradiodoctor.com. That's R-C-A-R-A-D-I-O-D-R.com. We answer the phone and admit patients 24-7. I'm always striving to live my healthiest life, so I need a health plan that has my back. With Independence Blue Cross, I get access to the largest network of doctors and hospitals in the region and free virtual doctor visits 24-7. Plus, with premiums as low as $0 per month, I can stay on top of my health and keep my budget in check. Independence has given me coverage I can count on, and they'll do the same for you. Learn more about your coverage options at ibx.com. Welcome back to your radio doctor. Our final segment is your weekly prescription. Dr. Sean Duffy, it's been such a pleasure to have you because people have learned a lot today, including the idea that if we know smoking is harmful, vaping is not your friend either, nor is inhaling the smoke of marijuana. We've talked about COPD. Let's share with our listeners the value of the upcoming conference in November. What is gold and Tell us how listeners can benefit from joining us. Sure. Um, so GOLD is the uh, foundation that supports patients for with uh, obstructive lung disease. So um, we have a conference every year, and it's a group of experts, and it's patients, and it's caregivers um, that come together to learn more about COPD. Um, and this year, um, it's in November, it's in Philadelphia, um, and on November 13th, there's actually um, a full day that's a patient forum where you can hear from experts and talk to other patients about their experience in COPD. Um, so it's going to be a really great experience, not just for people like me who are going to go there to learn something from right. world leaders, but for the patients themselves as well. There's everyday practical information. GOLD stands for Global Initiative for Chronic Obstructive Lung Disease. So we knock out the 
initiative and chronic. So global for obstructive lung disease, people from around the world. And Temple has been a huge magnet with you and Dr. Jerry Kreiner have been at this for so long. The Gold Conference will be in Philadelphia in November. And in the weeks leading up to the conference, I will be happy to share the information because you said it's usually held in a big hotel. I think it's at the Hilton this year down in, oh, uh, good. in Penn's Landing. Okay, perfect. And if people want to learn more about the, the basics of COPD, what websites might you share with them? So uh, as a Temple physician, I think uh, our, our Lung Center website is pretty good. It's got patient, um, it's got some patient experience up there. It's got um, resources as well. So that's templehealth.org uh, backslash services backslash lung. Um, and then the two uh, foundations that you um, might want to look into are the COPD Foundation, and that's just copdfoundation.org. Um, and they'll be kind of collaborating at the Gold Conference as well. Um, and then gold is goldcopd.org. Beautiful. And we're going to post this on our website, yourradiodoctor.net, and we'll put it in our newsletter that will be going out soon. And um, we'll have all the information. If a patient wanted to come to the Temple Lung Center, how would they make an appointment? So they could go to our website and do that right from the website, which is probably one of the easiest ways to do that. Um, so you can go in, you fill out a form, put in your symptoms, and they'll put you in touch with our lung center. But the phone number to Temple Lung Center here is uh, 215-707-5864 as well. Um, so that phone number is open. But again, through the website is, is an easy way to put in some of your patient information. And then someone from our access center can always get back to you. Mm -hmm. And if people forget, again, we're going to be posting this on our website. I'm sure people could just Google Temple Lung Center and it will lead them to the templehealth.org. That's templehealth.org is the main website. Type in Temple Lung Center and you're good to go. And again, the copdfoundation.org and goldcopd.org. Dr. Sean Duffy, what a treat to have you today. I know people learned a lot and it's beautiful work that you do to help people. And we thank you for joining us. Thank you so much for having me. It's been a pleasure. Thank you for listening to Your Radio Doctor every Saturday at 5 p.m. here on Talk Radio 1210 WPHT. Listen to this show again or any of our shows on the Odyssey website. That's odyssey.com, A-U-D-A-C-Y.com. Or listen to any of more than 170 shows that we've aired in our four seasons. You can listen to the entire show or just the champion segment, or the addiction prevention tip. All are listed separately on our website, www.yourradiodoctor.net. Please follow us and like us on any of the social media platforms, LinkedIn, Facebook, Instagram, Twitter, and now on Threads. Our topic today was COPD, chronic obstructive lung disease. The Temple Lung Center at Temple Health is a treasure chest of world-class physicians and researchers dedicated to helping people with acute and chronic lung disease live a longer and more functional life. They have clinical trials and the most up-to-date information about lung cancer screening. The number is 215-707-6867, website templehealth.org, and search Temple Lung Center. That's 215-707-6867.
Our real champions today are the little sisters of the poor, especially Sister Veronica and her fellow sisters. They value each person as unique and serve with humility and compassion because caring for the elderly poor, they put others' needs before their own. So help them in their mission because there's no such thing as pure altruism. Every time you help someone else, you're helping yourself feel better too. Join the sisters who lovingly help the elderly poor. Their big fundraising gala is coming soon at Drexelbrook, the beautiful catering and event center in Drexel Hill. When? Sunday, September 17th at noon. You can buy two tickets and a raffle ticket for a great price. And the big raffle prize this year is $10,000. Buy your tickets today by calling 215-729-5153. Website, littlesistersofthepoor.org. That's the gala for the Little Sisters of the Poor on Sunday, September 17 at noon for the beautiful celebration of a vitally important cause. Drexelbrook Catering and Event Center in Drexel Hill. Get your tickets, 215-729-5153. Website, littlesistersofthepoor.org. This is your radio doctor, Wishing you a happy, healthy, safe week with the ones you love. And always here to remind you that your health is your wealth. Thanks for listening to your radio doctor, Dr. Marianne Ritchie, presented exclusively by Independence Blue Cross. To contact Dr. Marianne and to listen to today's show as well as past shows, visit yourradiodoctor.com. This program is paid for by Your Radio Doctor, LLC. All opinions or statements expressed on this program are solely those of Your Radio Doctor and their guests and do not reflect the opinions of WPHT or Odyssey. Today's program has been pre-recorded. Millions of Americans are losing their medical assistance or Medicaid coverage. If this affects you, Independence Blue Cross can help. You may be eligible to enroll in a health plan for as little as $0 a month. With Independence Blue Cross, you get the largest provider network in the area, including most Keystone First doctors and hospitals. We also offer free 24-7 telemedicine, coverage for hospital stays and prescriptions. See if you qualify for $0 health insurance and enroll today. Call Independence Blue Cross at 1-844-464-2583 or visit ibx.com slash stay covered.